Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and in this program I'll be spending a lot of time talking about Nathaniel and the conversation that Jesus had with Nathaniel. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. But then in verse 43, it says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then in verse 46, it says, And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, when Nathanael responded by asking, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The reason why was because at this time in history, people were looking at the people dwelling in Nazareth as being people who were considered to be somewhat undesirable, that these people were not considered to be of high class. They were considered to be people that you would look down on, not necessarily the kinds of people who were as productive or who were maybe as wealthy or influential as other people in other areas. And this was just part of general society that in many cases, whenever you have a society, several communities within the society, it's not unusual for people to try to find others who they can ridicule or who they can complain about, or say that they are not like those other people. It has a lot to do with personal pride, where a person is trying to elevate themselves by stepping on somebody else, in effect. So they need to have someone who they can ridicule, or who they can make jokes about. And back then, Nazarene jokes were kind of the thing. And so when Nathaniel questions how could anything good come out of Nazareth, That was where he was coming from, from that sense of ridicule that was going on a lot during this time in history, in the history of Israel. But Philip just simply responded and said, just come and see. That's found in verse 46. So in verse 47, this is John chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
And then in verse 49, Nathaniel gives this response that you simply would not expect of someone who was just told that they were spotted under a fig tree. He says in verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, this is quite a profound proclamation. And so I believe it is clear that the testimony that we have written here may seem to be a little incomplete. I mean, for Jesus to just simply tell him that he saw him under the fig tree, I don't think that that's enough just by itself in order to justify that kind of proclamation. If you were at the park, for example, if you were at a park that was close to me, and you were there under a tree, maybe reading a book, maybe reading the Bible, and I saw you a few hours later, or maybe a day later or something, and somebody introduces you to me, and I say, you know, I know who you are. I saw you under that tree at that park reading a book. And then if you say to me in response, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, I think that indicates that there are a few things missing. And so I'm going to spend some time in this program explaining some of these things that are being said and what people are doing, and so that I think you can have a better understanding for why Nathaniel would respond in that way. Now, to begin with, I'd like to start with the fig tree. Why would Nathaniel be under the fig tree? At this time in history, the rabbis, the Pharisees, were teaching that if you wanted to study the scriptures, the best place to study the scriptures was under a fig tree. And the reason why people believed this was because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the first leaf that Adam and Eve reached for was a fig leaf when they discovered that they did not have clothing on. Now, what happened was that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the violation of the law that God gave them that resulted in the death of humanity, the spiritual death of humanity, and the physical death was a consequence of that. But what the people believed was that if you are going to study the knowledge of good and evil, which is the scriptures, the scriptures are a description of the knowledge of good and evil, primarily the Mosaic law, which is a description of the knowledge of good and evil. If you are going to study that, and if you are going to meditate on that, or if you are going to teach on that, then the best place to do this would be under a fig tree. Because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, especially verse 7. This is what they believed. Some rabbis would only teach under a fig tree. And it was taught that if you wanted to meditate on the knowledge of good and evil, the best place to do this would be under a fig tree. That was the belief of the people at that time. So if you saw a group of people under a fig tree, you could reasonably assume that one of those people was the rabbi and the other people were the disciples. If you saw one person under a fig tree, then you could reasonably assume that they were meditating on the knowledge of good and evil. They were meditating on the scriptures. Now, there was a schedule with regards to when a person would study what passages in the scriptures. The cycle began around the time of the new year, known as Rosh Hashanah, 
also known as the head of the year. The head of the year, the new year, Rosh Hashanah, is not Mosaic at all. This is not part of the Mosaic law. This is something that the people, the religious people, the Pharisees, they decided that they would recognize as part of the Day of Atonement. Because the Day of Atonement was the day that there would be a sacrifice, an annual sacrifice, for all of the sins that the people did not know that they committed. And so there was an association with this annual renewal of the forgiveness of sins that you did not know that you committed. And so they called that the head of the year the head of the spiritual year in that sense. But according to the Mosaic law as given by God, the first month of the year was the month associated with when Passover would be held, and this would happen in the spring. But the Day of Atonement and Rosh Hashanah would happen in the fall, and so you have quite a distance. But the rabbis had a schedule of going through the Mosaic law in a year. In a full year, they had a schedule of what passages you would study at what time. And around the time of the Day of Atonement, you would start in Genesis. But when Jesus meets Nathanael, this is fairly close to Passover. If we assume that in chapter 2, in John chapter 2, if we assume that John chapter 2 describes events that are in close proximity to what happened at the end of John chapter 1 which I believe is reasonable, even though John never claimed that his gospel was written in chronological order, I think that we have enough to go on to be able to say it's quite likely that the events described in John chapter 2 are pretty close to the events that are described at the end of John chapter 1. And so in John chapter 2, verse 23, John chapter 2, verse 23, it states that it was around the time of Passover. So if this is, in fact, around the time of Passover, when Jesus meets Nathanael and has this conversation with him, then this would be a time that most everyone was studying the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures well beyond Genesis. They would be in other areas of the scriptures. That's what people would be teaching and thinking about according to the Pharisaical rabbinical cycle of going through the law of Moses in a year. And this is the hint that I want you to understand, is that Jesus says something to Nathaniel. He says something to Nathaniel that inspires Nathaniel to think about the Lord Jesus seriously and gives him the conclusion that this must be the Son of God, the King of Israel. And so again, going back to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 47, It says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Now, when Jesus says this, he identifies Nathanael as an Israelite. Who was the first Israelite? Well, the first Israelite was Jacob. Jacob was the first Israelite. His name was changed to Israel, which meant He who wrestles with God, because of the description that we have of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis. And yet Jacob was known as a man who was very deceitful. If you look at the history of Jacob, 
you will find that there were many occasions when he was dishonest and he deceived people. And so when Jesus identifies Nathanael as an Israelite and that he has no deceit, then what he's doing is he is distinguishing Nathanael from Jacob and he's also letting Nathanael know that he's thinking about Jacob. And so in verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? It wasn't a question in the sense of how do you know me and how do you know for sure that I'm not being deceitful. It was a question that also included how would you make an association between Jacob and an Israelite and deception and myself? How would you make that association? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What Jesus says in response is he says to Nathanael, I know that you were under the fig tree. And when you were under the fig tree, I know that you were meditating on the scriptures. And the scriptures that you were meditating on were the scriptures related to Jacob and him being a deceitful person and his name being changed to Israel and that you are an Israelite and that I know that this is what you were thinking about, that this is what you were meditating on. And considering that this is around the time of Passover, I know that these are not the verses that you would normally be thinking about. You would be thinking about other passages. And so what Jesus was telling Nathaniel was that he knew what Nathaniel was meditating on under the fig tree. And this was something that no one would know. No one would guess. The only person who could know the thoughts of Nathaniel is God himself. And so that's why in verse 49, that's why Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Jesus answered and said to him in verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter, you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What Jesus does is he reinforces this conversation and tells Nathaniel, yes, you are right, and I do know exactly what you were meditating on. And with reference to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, Jacob's ladder, Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, that you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, just as Jacob saw the angels of God ascending and descending upon the earth. It was a way for Jesus to express to Nathanael that this conversation that they were having with one another, this conversation is true, it is correct, and that Nathanael's recognition of who Jesus is, is in fact the case, that he is the Son of God, he is the King of Israel, he is the Son of Man. 
Now, in the previous programs, I did spend some time talking about Jesus as the Son of God and what that would mean. Not that he was just one of many sons or that he is a different person from God the Father, as many people would like to believe. I don't share in that belief, but a lot of other people do believe that. But here we have a different title. We have a different title, the Son of Man. And this did have meaning to the people. It did have a distinct meaning to them in reference to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, there is a description of the vision that Daniel was receiving. And I'm going to begin in verse 13, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And so the Son of Man, as described in Daniel chapter 7, is certainly an important person. Everyone on earth is going to effectively serve this person. This person is coming from the heavens. It is a vision that is given to Daniel. It's another way of saying that we have a manifestation of a heavenly person of some kind who makes a change and becomes a person who dwells here on the earth, who lives here on the earth. This is the same theme that John began with at the beginning of this chapter, John chapter 1, where he speaks about Jesus as being the manifestation of God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. God was the Word, the Word became flesh, God became flesh. But through this change from our perception, we would see a part of God. And to describe this part or this person who is a part of God, we refer to him as the Son of God, but also the Son of Man or the Son of Humanity or a person who comes from the original person or who would be identified as someone who came from the original person, Adam. This is a way to understand the perception of the people and how we will be able to understand our God in this way. We cannot understand the fullness of God, but we can understand him in small pieces. And so again, in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. All right, now, as an everlasting dominion and will not be destroyed, the only one who could ever make a claim or hold an assertion such as this is God himself, our God who is the everlasting God, who has the everlasting kingdom, who has the everlasting dominion, this is one that will never pass away. Now, we know that the earth is going to pass away. And so how will this dominion or this kingdom remain eternally 
if this earth is not eternal. Because this kingdom is a kingdom of people who are eternal, who are everlasting, who have been given eternal life. So when the phrase the Son of Man is used to describe the Lord Jesus, and Jesus identifies himself in this way in John chapter 1, verse 51, when he identifies himself as the Son of Man indirectly, Jesus is proclaiming that he is definitely the king of Israel and of all people and of all languages. He is the king of the everlasting kingdom, the one that will never pass away. There would be no confusion between himself and these disciples who he has chosen. There would be no confusion about who he really is, or at least who he claims to be, and what he is going to accomplish, and he has asked them to be a part of what he is doing. Now, being identified as the Son of Man emphasizes the point that our God is going to identify with us, that our God personally stepped out of eternity in this abstract way to manifest in the flesh to become a person like we are, To be recognized as the Son of God is one abstraction, one way of us being able to capture and understand a little bit about who he is. But when he also refers to himself as the Son of Man, the Son of God and also the Son of Man, then this represents a different abstraction, an abstraction that he decides to relate to us, participate in our lives, as a person, as if he came from man, not just from God, but also from man in the sense of the first man, the first man, Adam. And that in this way, he's able to connect with us and relate to us and say that, yes, I can relate to you. I do know and understand what it is like to be you. You know, it's easy for a person to complain to somebody else and say, you know, you just don't understand. You don't know what it's like. Well, we have a God who you can't say that to. He does understand. He does know what it's like to be a person, to be a son of man and also to be a son of God. But in this way, he is able to state that he can make an official identification with us. Now, the prophecy that I read in Daniel chapter 7 is not the only place in the scriptures where the Son of Man is referenced. In the Psalms, Psalm chapter 80, verses 14 through 19, you have a very nice section there. In the book of Ezekiel, the phrase, the Son of Man, is used all over the place. So this is not the only one. And throughout the New Testament, in many other places, Jesus identifies himself as being the Son of Man, and so this is not unusual at all. But I personally have a preference for Daniel chapter 7, as it has this very short passage where we do see that our God is described in an eternal sense as one who is going to have an everlasting dominion. It's just my preference. But now, Jesus did not fulfill this at this time in history. If the people would have embraced him as the Messiah, then he would have been captured and he would have been executed by the Romans. And then when he rose from the dead, 
he would rise from the dead to be embraced by a large number of people, the nation of Israel, who would receive him as their king. And so the Lord Jesus was definitely going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He was going to rise from the dead and he would restore the Holy Spirit to humanity so that everybody could be saved. These were things that he was going to accomplish and he could have asserted the messianic kingdom at that time. But the people rejected him as the king, not all people, but the majority of the people, the people who were in positions of power, the people who were in positions of influence. And so instead of Jesus asserting his throne at this time, he waited. He has been waiting. And during this time between the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and the time when he will finally come, this is something that he will do in the future. During this interval of time, every generation of people provides him with a new group of people who may believe in him and trust in him according to the new covenant and be saved. So until he returns, many people will be saved and be a part of his kingdom in the future. Thank you for listening. This program is the eighth program in the verse-by-verse study on the Gospel of John. In this program, I spent time talking about the conversation that took place between Nathaniel and the Lord Jesus. When Nathaniel first met the Lord Jesus and decided to be his disciple, the conversation recorded in John chapter 1 does give the indication that a few details were left out to go from Jesus saying that he saw Nathanael under the fig tree to Nathanael stating that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel, was a bit of a leap. And so I spent some time going through the different things that they said to each other and with an understanding of the culture at that time and the way that people did things, I was able to present a reasonable explanation as to why Nathaniel would have made that kind of statement like he did. I also spent some time talking about the phrase, the son of man, because Jesus concludes his conversation with Nathaniel by identifying himself as the son of man. And so I explained what that meant. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that can make-